the fact that people can actually start saving money now without it being debased is the most exciting part about Bitcoin to me. Um, making sure that this protocol uh, continues to, to grow and people start using it. Um, really just my biggest interest is trying to orange pill people uh, and then make them understand that, you know, you can't hold dollars. Otherwise, your purchasing power just continues to decline. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Today, we spoke to Tom Hanzik from Unchained Capital. Tom assists people with concierge onboarding at Unchained. He is a pro at explaining Bitcoin nuance to people new in the space. With Tom, we talk primarily about UTXOs or unspent transaction outputs. That sounds complicated, but trust me, we will get you through it. Understanding UTXOs is not necessary to using Bitcoin, but it is a huge help in getting under the hood and getting your hands around this slippery hog when it comes to managing your Bitcoin and keeping your stack private. With a basic understanding of UTXOs, you can confidently use Bitcoin in a more private manner and potentially save yourself some transaction fees in the future. If you are looking for a device to stack those shiny UTXOs, look to none other than the cold card Mark IV. This is the newest signing device manufactured by CoinKite, and it is the best device known to man for protecting your Bitcoin. As we mentioned during the episode, the Mark IV has no limits to the amount of UTXOs it can send in a single transaction. This makes it the perfect device for cleaning up a ton of UTXOs and consolidating them into one. CoinKite makes a ton of interesting and downright badass equipment. The Block Clock Mini and Micro, the Sats Card, and the Open Dime. Use code BCB to get 5% off anything at CoinKite. That's code BCB. Check it out. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Tom, welcome on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. If I understand things correctly, this is your Bitcoin podcast debut. How does it feel? breaking his cherry yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it feels great it's awesome uh thank you guys for inviting me on i'm really excited for this conversation we are too we sought you out because of some two articles you wrote on utxos and um they were phenomenally well done we thought they would be digestible and that topic would be important for our audience so that's going to be our focus but we'll cover a lot of different things today Little uh, housekeeping item right off the bat, folks, we are now on YouTube, if you didn't know that. And my hook for you to come check us out on YouTube is I am currently starting an absolutely disgusting mustache. Uh, I was off for a few shift days, got back to work yesterday, shaved, came back this morning, and my wife was legitimately pissed off. She hates it when I grow a mustache, but hopefully it will evolve from being a disgusting chick stash to a fully fledged mm. firefighter mustache within the next month or two. There is no limit to what Dan will do on YouTube in order to gain more views. <laughs> he will sit with a hog. He'll gain a disgusting amount of weight and lose it again. Yep. Like whatever mm -hmm. he's got to do. Whatever we need. Anything whatever unhealthy. Need. Last thing before we intro you, Tom, last mustache comment. We have a guy on our department. Shout out to Bobby. He, for a couple years in a row, grew a gnarly good mustache. And then on the last day before he shaved it, he would dye it jet black and just pretend like nothing happened. And if people want that, it's something I will consider in a month or two, Josh. <laughs> I'd rather see you get a hog and hold it and pet it while we do this podcast. Yeah, we need to find somebody. Uh, Tom, who are you? How are you today? Uh, wherever you want to start here. Cool. Yeah. Um, my name is Tom Honzik and I'm, I'm doing great today. Um, I work for a company called Unchained Capital. It's a financial services company focused on Bitcoin for people who don't know. Um, essentially, the, the main purpose of Unchained Capital is to help people navigate multi-sig self-custody. Um, so 
What I do at Unchained Capital, my role in that is I'm on the concierge team. So I do concierge onboardings, uh, which means that people from around the country sign up uh, to get on a Zoom call with me. And we just have like a power hour together of just having fun talking about Bitcoin and going from zero to 100, where a lot of people uh, join the call where they have never uh, generated a Bitcoin key before. Um, They might not even fully understand what a Bitcoin key is. They might not fully understand what multi-sig is. By the end of the call, we've built a multi-signature vault together. We might have moved Bitcoin into that vault, uh, into their own custody. Um, and, you know, people are, end up being confident with how to, how to use it um, and hold their Bitcoin securely for the long term. Tom, you are doing God's work, my friend. God's work. Just corralling the sheep right into the, ken, right into the pen, you know? It is so, zero to hero. You go from is. no custody whatsoever to a true multi-sig vault that you have control over with some help. But uh, great product. We've both, we both have a vault, have for a while, and uh, believe in what you folks are up to. Uh, I think the longer we're in and around the educational Bitcoin space, the more need we see for workable, simplistic solutions that are robust. And despite the fact that if you've been in Bitcoin for three years, setting up your Sparrow multisig through your own node may seem simple. It is not that way to your average boomer. And uh, for this thing to scale and be functional for the masses, we need good products and good teams. Dan is going right for the jugular and attacking boomers right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, you love to see it. Uh, most of them have you know parrots in the background when we talk to them, so they definitely need some guidance here. I think we're gonna freak some boomers out today, Tom, um, and uh, millennials and Gen Zers alike that don't even know what a UTXO is, haven't even thought through the privacy fee implications of Bitcoin. I, I do, I do want to say this is going to be, if you're newer to Bitcoin and you've, you've just moved your first amount into cold storage or whatever, this topic could seem complex, could seem a little bit cumbersome. And we're pro- you're probably going to shit your pants or be like, oh, Bitcoin sucks. It's more complicated than I it's thought. It's super simple. It really is. It's pretty simple. And what we're talking about here, in my view, you can correct me if you feel differently, Tom, but it is sort of an optional step. Like it's something you should graduate into, but it's not something you have to grasp right away. Why don't we go back to the, the basics of what we want to cover today? What is a Bitcoin UTXO? Why does it matter? Yeah, Bitcoin UTXO, I, I like to approach explaining it in a couple of different ways. So um, I'll talk about like what it actually stands for, um, and then also use some like traditional finance analogies that I think are really helpful for understanding UTXOs. Uh, but first of all, a UTXO, it is a, an abbreviation. The U stands for unspent, the TX stands for transaction, and the O stands for output. So it is an unspent transaction output. Um, and we can come back to, to that in a little bit and maybe cover why that terminology makes sense. Uh, but really, the way to start approaching UTXOs and understanding what they are, um, I like to use the analogy of bank accounts versus piggy banks. So uh, in, a, in a bank account, let's say you just opened a brand new bank account and you deposit, deposit uh, $100 into it. Um, you give them a $100 bill. And they just take that $100 bill and they just mix it in with uh, all the other money from the accounts of many other people. Um, It doesn't really matter whether you've deposited a $100 bill or maybe five $20 bills. Uh, They just mark how much is yours. Um, And then if you want to withdraw that money out of the bank account later, you can pretty much choose whatever bills you want. You could get five 20s or 10 10s or whatever. So that's how money in other people's custody tends to work. Uh, But if you're going to be holding money in your own custody, let's say you're going to use a piggy bank to store your cash. Um, There's a difference there. If you take a $100 bill and you put it into your piggy bank, uh, it exists in the form of a $100 bill. It doesn't change, right? It doesn't magically turn into 520s. 
then if you needed to to spend uh, Bitcoin set or sorry dollars and you wanted to send someone like twenty bucks or something, all you have to grab from is that one hundred dollar bill sitting in your piggy bank. You, you don't get to magically convert it into into other denominations. And Bitcoin really works in the same way. So if you hold Bitcoin on an exchange, that's very similar to uh, storing cash in a bank account. Um, the exchange is taking care of all the, the UTXOs for you. But when you move Bitcoin into your own custody, now this is more similar to the piggy bank example. So, uh, for example, if you purchase one Bitcoin on an exchange and then you move it into your personal wallet, now you have one UTXO of one Bitcoin. So you can kind of think of it like you have put a, a bill of one Bitcoin into your piggy bank. Uh, on the other hand, let's say you buy one Bitcoin on an exchange and you move it over into your own custody in chunks. So uh, maybe you move 0.1 Bitcoin into your wallet and then you move another 0.4 Bitcoin and then the final five bit, uh, 0.5 Bitcoin. That's been three transactions now and actually your wallet it still has one bitcoin but it's in a fundamentally different state you're holding on to three utxos worth 0.1 0.4 and 0.5 as opposed to just one utxo of one full bitcoin right yeah so a lot of people might be thinking to themselves well i have a ledger and when i go into my ledger it just says i have 1.2 bitcoins. I don't understand what you're talking about with UTXOs, but I'm not I actually haven't used a ledger in quite a while. They might have implemented coin control now. But if you go to some sub tabs in something like Sparrow or Spectre, what you'll see is a whole bunch of different incoming transactions, each one of the transactions you've received. And what that is, it's the UTXO that Tom's describing. And if you, the reason it's important to understand, uh, well, it's not super important. You don't have to understand these things, but it's important because there are privacy implications for moving your Bitcoin around. And if you don't understand which one of those UTXOs or which one of those pieces of Bitcoin you're moving, you could potentially open yourself up to privacy concerns. Um, Tom, do you want to speak on that a little bit about why UTXOs can introduce some privacy issues for people? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, UTXOs, not only do they affect privacy, they affect uh, your transaction fees that you might be dealing with in the future, uh, as well as a couple other things. Um, before we hop into privacy, I want to just backtrack a little bit and, and talk more about that terminology, UTXO, for unspent transaction output. I think it's important to understand that uh, every transaction, whether Bitcoin is involved or not, uh, you can reduce it to inputs and outputs. So uh, if I just send someone $10, the input to that transaction is me, the sender, sending $10, and the output to the transaction is the receiver receiving $10. And you can get a little bit more complex with it with multiple inputs and multiple outputs. For example, if the three of us went out to lunch and uh, we decided to split the bill and maybe it's $20 each, each of us contributing $20, that's three inputs of $20. Uh, and the restaurant that we ate at receives $60 as one output. Um, and then maybe that restaurant needs to pay its workers $15 each across four people. Now you have another transaction where you have one input of $60 and four outputs of $15, for example. And thinking in terms of inputs and outputs, is going to be really helpful going forward. That's why, uh, you know, UTXO, unspent transaction output, all that means is that you've sent some Bitcoin maybe from an exchange to your wallet, and what you've received is an output to a transaction. And all the unspent part means is that it's still where you sent it. It hasn't moved again since. So all Bitcoin exists in the form of uh, UTXOs. Um, and then, I, I yes, think I, that's a, I think that's a key point just to hammer home. Like we've covered it, but for somebody that's confused, your Bitcoin is UTXOs. So that balance you see in ledger to reiterate or wherever you're looking, 
that is the conglomeration of the various denominations of your UTXOs. I think another point to make here, just for some terminology for someone that's newer, because we're talking about you know Sparrow and Spectre and, and all this stuff. If, if you're set up right now, you may not be cold stored at all, but let's say you're at the beginning stages where you are using a ledger or a treasure with their application, right? That's reflecting your balance. That is not the only way that you can use that device. You can download a desktop wallet. Josh and I talk a lot about Sparrow. You can input your ledger and see, you can, you can see the UTXO set of your ledger. Even if that's not possible on the app you're using, you can use your signing device through other applications that connect to Bitcoin and see your UTXO set. This is one of the big differences between, this is what makes a lot of people characterize the cold card as complicated, for example, because the cold card has no proprietary app that simplifies things for you. You have to go use another app like Sparrow or Spectre and plug your, you know, route your, your cold card through that to be able to use it. It's so, but you can use any signing device pretty much out there in this context and see the set of UTXOs that make up your balance if you so choose. I think that may clear something up for people that are confused on where this is accessed. Yeah, I think a lot of people imagine their Bitcoin as just like an account, like a bank account. Uh, but really the way to think about it is that what you have is a collection of various UTXOs like bills. Uh, that is the form in which your Bitcoin exists. It right. exists on addresses, and those addresses exist on the blockchain. So uh, even the term wallet is pretty confusing to a lot yeah. of people because you don't really have right. like a, a singular place where your Bitcoin lives. It's all on that uh, right. distributed ledger. It's a conglomeration of a bunch of addresses that equal whatever your wallet balance is. I think it's also important to bring up here that this UTXO set is part of the reason that Bitcoin solved the double spend problem mm. because these nodes... Every single node is tracking every single UTXO and therefore can verify the exact amount of Bitcoin by adding all them up and being able to verify who owns what and who can sign for what transaction. So, I mean, that's a, a huge point, a key I, point to understanding. Full Bitcoin nodes are fully. validating the entire set of UTXOs. That's the whole fucking point of this thing. This is how it works, you know? Yeah. And so all your wallet does like Sparrow wallet or Ledger Live or Treasure Suite or Unchained, all it does is it generates a bunch of addresses and then it looks up on the blockchain, which ones are yours? And then do those have any UTXOs in them? If they do, then it adds up all your UTXOs and it displays your balance. So that's what's really going on behind the scenes there. Okay. So let's go here next. So we've established that your address can be comprised of one UTXO or 78 UTXOs, right? In all different kinds of denominations. So what are the pros and cons to many and few when it comes to UTXOs? Let's, there's a balance here, and this is a lot of what you wrote about, and this, is, is, this understanding is key to you managing this in the way that fits you best. Yeah, so addresses, you're... First of all, your wallet can actually generate a lot of different addresses, right? And each address can either hold zero UTXOs, one UTXO, or multiple UTXOs. Um, a lot of people choose to just use one address per UTXO for some privacy reasons that we can get into. Um, but yeah, going into privacy, if uh, a big thing to consider here is chain. Okay, if you have uh, Bitcoin existing in very large UTXOs, and when you do a transaction with someone to send them maybe a small amount of Bitcoin, you might be revealing a lot of change to that person. And so I, I like to return to the uh, analogy of dollars. Let's say you have a $100 bill in your pocket, and for whatever reason, you need to pay someone just $1. So your only real option there is to take that $100 bill and give it to that person and get $99 of change back. Um, and what you've kind of done there is you've exposed the fact that now you have $99 sitting in your pocket um, and that that person is aware of that. It's, uh, it's very similar with Bitcoin. If you have a, a Bitcoin UTXO of one Bitcoin, Right, and then you need to just send someone a small amount of Bitcoin. Your only choice is to 
have that one Bitcoin UTXO be the input to the transaction. Okay, and then you can have an output that goes to the receiver for a much smaller amount. But everything else you kind of need to send back to yourself as an additional right. output. And that's your change. And since the transaction is completely public on the blockchain, um, the this, this receiver could just look it up and see, oh, you sent uh, additional Bitcoin to this other address during this transaction. That's probably your change. And that Bitcoin almost certainly still belongs to you. So you've revealed something about your yeah. Bitcoin balance. This is kind of simultaneously a weakness of Bitcoin and a strength. It's a strength because you can verify every UTXO that exists and you can verify that Bitcoin actually only has 19 million and some change in existence. That's a huge bonus. That's a huge plus. It's a good reason for this to have, be so open and public. But at the same time, it introduces a whole bunch of um, possible nefarious actors to find out how much money you might have. And keep in mind, like they can't just track that previous UTXO movement. They can track everything previous from that as well. All the way All back, the way to, back the to the Coinbase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Correct. That was uh we wow. nailed that in sync right there, Dan. We did. We that occasionally is, like to do that. It's a special that's, um so it is a consideration for people. And and this is the reason in my mind you should understand these things is to protect yourself and understand how you can properly pay somebody with Bitcoin in order to not reveal, you know, a potential large balance you might have. Or just yeah. any you want to leak as little information as you possibly can to somebody you don't know to analogize this right if you're out for a beer with your buddy right and you pick up two of his drinks it's 12 bucks and in order to pay for it you whip out a wad of like 50 hundreds he's gonna think this guy's a fucking crack dealer like <laughs> you've, you've given up your privacy and that's kind of what happens here if you have a hundred bitcoin right you're loaded you got a hundred bitcoin and it's consolidated in one UTXO, and you pay somebody 0.1 Bitcoin, well, 0.1's headed out, and there's, a, there's an input coming back for 99.9, and there, people are going to be able to surmise that you're loaded. Bitcoin is pseudonymous. It's not anonymous. And privacy is a concern in Bitcoin. We may touch on that later in the episode. But that's what we're talking about. You reveal your balance. When you have one massive UTXO and you spend part of it, it's, it's, you can delineate how much is in that UTXO, right? So anything yeah, exactly. you want to add there? Yeah. So generally speaking, if you choose smaller UTXOs and you get less change back, you know, that's ideal from a privacy perspective, because um, if you just uh, needed to pay someone $1, but you use a $10 bill, you get $9 of change back instead of 99 you've revealed a lot less about what you still have. Um, so small UTXOs in a lot of cases are, are good for avoiding you know, huge amounts of change during a transaction, but there is a trade-off uh, for holding a lot of small UTXOs, which is that the more UTXOs you uh, hold, the more expensive the transaction's fees will be when you need to, to move that Bitcoin. So that's like a, a constant trade-off uh, that just exists in the world of Bitcoin. Let me just ask you if this is a, is a good characteristic for or a good explanation for how these fees work for, let's say I have one Bitcoin and uh, it's comprised of 20 different UTXOs and I want to consolidate that because I don't want to pay large fees in the future. And we're always kind of under the assumption fees are going to be much larger in the future or potentially could be. So when we're seeing low fees now, it's probably a good time to do some consolidation. And when we say consolidation, what we're saying is taking say, those potential 20 UTXOs that exist in that Bitcoin and sending them back to yourself as one by, you know, you could just basically you could click on each one of those UTXOs and send them back to yourself and you'll get that unspent transaction uh, output back as one or 0.99 Bitcoins or whatever it is. The reason, so basically what you're doing is you're paying a transaction fee for each individual UTXO. Is that a correct uh, way to characterize that, Tom? So it's, it's one transaction, but in essence, it's actually 20 different transactions happening simultaneously in order for that to actually happen. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty close to correct. I like to think of it uh, better in that just UTXOs are chunks of data. So um, in your example, you have 20 inputs and one output, and maybe you're not, and you're just sending it back to yourself. You're not even involving someone else in this transaction. You're just moving Bitcoin from one address or multiple addresses uh, to another address you control. Um, each UTXO is a chunk of data, and how fees are calculated are really two things. Um, the first is the sats per byte of data. Uh, that's your fee rate. That's something that you get to choose when you author the transaction. Um, and that is something that if you really want your transaction to be processed quickly, it's dependent on what the demand is across the network uh, for sending Bitcoin. Um, if there's a lot of people trying to send Bitcoin all at once, then you might have to choose a higher fee rate to get your transaction processed quickly. Um, so that's, it. that's sats per byte of data. So the other part here is how many bytes of data does your transaction use? And the more UTXOs you have, which are chunks of data, the, the more bytes you will end up using. So if you have 20 inputs, uh, that is going to cost you more than if you just have five inputs to the transaction. Um, and so, yeah, if you store your Bitcoin in many, many UTXOs and then you need to move it all at once, uh, it can get really expensive, especially if the, the fee environment is particularly hot at that time. Yeah. Um, we, we, we had to tell a story about Jim's Bitcoin getting stuck, Josh. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> One thing about fees, if you if you never, I don't even remember how it happened or whatever, but he, he was super cheap. He just sent it at, it was a fairly high fee climate and he sent it for like the minimum, which is one sat per V byte. And he got his transaction stuck for like over a month. Yeah. It was, it was just sitting in the mempool for, he was in an absolute panic. And we were like telling him like, it's going to be okay. It's not going anywhere. It's just yeah. not going anywhere for and a long period gonna, of time. We're going to get scolded. He's going to be, he doesn't like it when we talk about him on this show, but uh, he's, yeah, he does. he's, he's Bitcoin focused. He he's Bitcoin forward. He's Bitcoin committed. We get it, Jim. We know you're, you get it. But he does have a propensity. He likes to gamble. And so he likes to shitcoin. And Josh and I were saying he got this large quantity of Bitcoin locked up kind of in the hype cycle. And we said, you know what? This is good for him. Like this is, this you is the protocol's way of saying yeah. you can't touch this Bitcoin. You know, the protocol knew better. Um, Tom, so let's actually take a, a little step back. What are fees on the Bitcoin network? Why do they exist? How do they come into play? And then once we establish that, walk us through how significant these fees can get based on history we've seen, and then how more UTXOs can actually be pretty dramatic in a high fee environment. So let's go back to fee basics and then what that can look like when fees go upward and you've got a ton of UTXOs. Right. So fees are, uh, they exist for transactions because the way that Bitcoin works is that for your transaction to be processed and added onto the blockchain, it needs to be included in a block that is mined. And each block has a limited amount of data that it can hold, and that's on purpose. Um, so it's it's around one to two megabytes per block. Um, and the reason why it's limited at one or two megabytes per block is that uh, if you were to increase that substantially to be able to handle more transactions, then you have the trade-off of making Bitcoin less decentralized. Um, so this is a very important aspect to Bitcoin. And uh, because the transaction space is limited in each block, that's where people need to kind of outbid each other to get their transaction included in the next block and have that uh, settlement. So when a lot of people are trying to send transactions, then you have these blocks uh, that are completely full and you have a lot of transactions that are waiting around. And the ones that have chosen the highest fee rates are the ones that are going to get selected first because the miners are incentivized. They want to mine those transactions because they get paid that those transaction yeah. fees. 
Can I enter Tam? Can I just step in for one second? There's one other um, reason that I'm aware of it's for uh, keeping denial from service attacks happening, which would be somebody just blasting the network full of tons and tons of bullshit transactions in order to lock the entire thing up. In order to keep people from doing that, these fees are there in order to make it almost unapproachable. It would become so expensive to do that that an attacker just wouldn't do it or wouldn't be able to do it because they don't have the finances to do it. I know Satoshi spoke about that. I read in the book of Satoshi, he spoke about that early on. But um, just one other reason that I'm aware of. That's good. That's a that's a good point. Um, and then as far as sorry, what was the, the other? The question? second part was like what can fee environments look like because there's a huge yeah. disparity top to bottom let's explore that and then okay. secondarily what are the implications of a high fee environment and a ton of utxos right exactly so in the past year we've seen a very low fee environment uh, i think it's because the price of bitcoin hasn't been exciting quite a, quite as many people it's not been rocketing upwards and so you can choose like one sat per byte as your fee rate and still get your transaction processed relatively quickly yeah. here. You can cheap out like long. Jim. It, Jim mm -hmm. People like Jim can survive in this climate is what Tom just, just said. The cockroaches of the world. <laughs> hey, what's the highest fee the two of you gentlemen have ever paid to move some Bitcoin around? I bet you I beat you. Um, I don't remember. think I was really moving in high fee. I don't think I've ever really had to move coin in high fee environments. I've been sitting pretty, maybe sitting pretty still. I don't know. In in December 10? of 17. Oh my, did I smoke that one? I, think, I, think, I don't think I've ever spent more than 10 sats per byte. I spent 75 bucks for one transaction in December of 2017. And yeah, that was wild. So yeah, you got to be careful. It can get real expensive. Tom, you, can you beat 75 bucks on a single transaction? No, I can. I probably whenever uh, whenever I send Bitcoin uh, and get to manually choose uh, the fee rates, then yeah, I always Keep choose in mind, something low. I had no idea what I was doing back then, and I just took whatever I think it was Trezor gave me. So I probably got completely fucked. Yeah. But but what but what you're what you're hinting at, and then we'll hand it back to you, is that this is why UTXO consolidation can matter for people because, especially for the less educated. They may need to move or want to move or elect to move Bitcoin in a really high fee environment when there's a lot of activity, a lot of fever in the market. <clears throat> That's when a lot of the movement's happening, right? It's a, it's a basic supply and demand with fees. And so being set up for that environment matters. Back to you here, Tom, on, on why and what the implications can be. Yeah, so the difference can be really drastic. So I just mentioned that over the past year, you can get away with choosing one sat per byte or three sats per byte. That's all considered fairly low. But just go back to like April of 2021 when the price of Bitcoin uh, had been running up quite quickly. And a lot of people were excited. They were using Bitcoin and they were just overloading uh, the mempool with transactions, the mempool being where transactions wait until they get mined into a block. And when you have this backlog of transactions sitting in the mempool, uh, we started to see fee rates of like over 100 sats per byte. So that's like 100 times more expensive yeah. to move your Bitcoin uh, in those kind of environments uh, if you want to move it quickly. And sometimes you don't have control over when you need to move your Bitcoin. You know, life can throw a curveball and you might need to move your Bitcoin on short notice. So you might not get to wait around for lower fee environments. So yeah. that's exactly right. Having your Bitcoin not in like uh, 200 UTXOs can be really advantageous. Um, if you have your Bitcoin in 200 UTXOs uh, and you need to move it during a high fee environment, instead of paying like 50 cents worth of Bitcoin to, to do that transaction, you could be paying uh, thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Um, just to get your transaction processed quickly. And in April, 2021, there's plenty of examples of that. So I'm just going to read your chart as a closer on the difference that can be paid. This is from your piece is a very well done chart of what the difference can look like. Okay. If you have five UTXOs and it's one sat per byte, 
And remember, the price to move Bitcoin is not how much Bitcoin it is. It's the data being processed, right? So you can move a billion dollars of Bitcoin. It could cost the same amount as 10 bucks. It's the data going in. Five UTXOs, one sat per byte on the cheap end. That would be 1,000 sats. Very Roughly. little. Just, just, as a, yeah, just as an example, roughly 1,000 sats, right? And these are not hard and fast numbers, but for example, that you provided. Yeah. If you have 100 UTXOs and it's 100 sats per byte, that could be 2 million sats, right? Uh, huge difference, especially when we picture a environment 10 to 20 years from now where Bitcoin might be world reserve currency and the base layer is insanely expensive. Getting that tidied up might be something you want to consider. I just like the chart because it quantifies how big the impact can be if you've got a shit ton of these things. Yeah, that is huge. Back to you, Josh. Um, yeah, pick it up where I'm talking. I basically want to go into a bit more of the privacy side of things. Um, so we were talking a bit before we started about, um, so let's say you have a multi-sig vault and you have a, a significant amount of Bitcoin in there and you have very few UTXOs. So you're, you're potentially opened up to a position where you could pay someone a small amount of money and you're doing the equivalent of paying them a hundred dollar bill for a $1 transaction. And now they know the remaining change that you have. So one of the ways to solve the problem here is a coin join. So instead of sending that money directly to the person that you're going to pay, you can do what's called a coin join. Um, a coin join is basically, for people listening that don't have any idea, it's a pool of other people who have a, the same UTXO, so the same amount of Bitcoin. A good example would be like 0.1 Bitcoin. You, take, you send a transaction of 0.1 Bitcoin, one UTXO, to a pool of say 50 other people who are all agreeing to mix this money together in order to send So each person gets the same amount of money back, but it's all switched around so that you don't get the same exact UTXO back to yourself. Uh, can you maybe do a better job of elucidating what a coin join is than I'm doing, Tom? I'd, uh, and just try to explain to our audience, number one, why a coin join might be a good idea if privacy is a concern for you. And number two, just explain a little bit about how exactly they work. Yeah, I'll give it a go. So coin joins are a very useful tool. And uh, it is just mixing Bitcoin with other people's Bitcoin. A lot of the times it's uh, people that you have no idea who they are. And uh, it is a trustless process. But going back to that idea of like inputs and outputs to a transaction. So an example of a coin join would be like, let's say I put in uh, 1 million sats and four other people also contribute 1 million sats. And so you've got these five inputs of 1 million sats each, and then everybody gets back 1 million sats. So there's five outputs as well. Everybody gets back 1 million sats. So if I just gave up 1 million sats and got back 1 million sats, uh, why would I do that? What's the, what's the advantage to that? Basically, it breaks the the, the paper trail um, to some extent of where your Bitcoin's been before, which Bitcoin is yours, because there's no way to tell um, those five outputs, the new addresses that they're on. There's no way to really tell which of those five is your address that you received your Bitcoin back at. So right. um, yeah, it makes it very hard for people that are trying to like track your uh, behavior. So let's talk a little about the legality of this, because I think a lot of people are thinking, ooh, that sounds a lot like laundering money in a way. It's, it basically scares the pants off of people who, number one, maybe are having trouble understanding what a UTXO is and then thinking, this sounds a little bit like dark web type um, manipulation of source of money. Can I get in trouble for this? Is it legal? Um, so how, what do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah, so it's subject to change. People should always check their local laws and, and regulations about this. There's certainly places in the world that are uh, less friendly to privacy and to freedom. Um, so it can be different in different places. But typically, coin joins are a tool that's just used by regular people to try to improve their privacy. Um, but you don't know who you're mixing your coins with. And there could be suspected instances of like you said, a criminal using the tool to try to launder some money. Um, and for that reason, some places actually don't accept Bitcoin that has been through a coin join. So there might be some financial services or like exchanges or something. And if you have coins that have gone through a coin join, they might be less willing to 
accept those coins. Um, so that's really the, the main consideration uh, when it comes to whether you want to do this or not. Yeah. And that brings us to another possible problem that Bitcoin has now and potentially in the future, which is fungibility. The, the fact that there are entities out there who won't accept CoinJoin Bitcoin because they know that there's a possibility, however fleetingly small, that this might have been used in some illicit activity, that puts a black mark on that particular UTXO from then on. Um, so fungibility, just for people listening, means that any, all Bitcoin is treated the same. 0.1 Bitcoin is 0.1 Bitcoin is 0.1 Bitcoin. Well, in the, in the case that a company wouldn't, wouldn't allow you to pay them with a coin joined bit of Bitcoin, that makes it um, potentially less valuable on the secondary market because it's just less, it's less useful if you can't spend it. I mean, money that doesn't spend is not nearly as good as money that spends, obviously. Yeah. Um, how are we going to address that? What are, your, <laughs> what are your thoughts on how Bitcoin is going to address these fungibility problems in the future? My hope is that coin joins just become super popular. And so that's really the majority of uh, Bitcoin transactions involve some sort of this mixing and joining technology yeah. uh, so that institutions and, and receivers of Bitcoin don't really have a realistic choice to, to black flag that and choose not to accept it. Um, but there are other things as well, um, you know, lightning transactions and different technology being developed uh, around that. There's a lot of possibilities of, of where we could end up in terms of uh, fungibility, um, but there's really smart people working on this. So I'm, I'm very uh, confident that, you know, in a few years that every uh, fungibility is not going to be a huge concern. I think we are wise and honest, though to admit that privacy and fungibility are not ideal on Bitcoin. It, it is the, in my view, the, the pronounced weakness of the protocol and network. The interesting thing though, is that this is an evolving network that's being built on top of in layers and it's far from over where this is gonna end up. I, when I think about this, I think about Gigi's recent piece, um, I think it's called freedom and privacy, two sides of the same coin. And he spends a lot of time in this piece talking about HTTP and HTTP being completely wide open when it was first developed and then being introduced over SSL and now to the HTTPS that we have today with strong encryption. The way it started, nothing like it is today in terms of the privacy that's afforded. And Privacy is paramount, I think, for this protocol to survive in the fashion that I want it to. Upgrades are going to have to happen, but I do believe they will happen. I mean, you've already hinted at them. Things that are going, I mean, lightning in a lot of ways improves privacy. The evolution of coin joining, the amount of coin joining, the applications being built for it, taproot and schnorr signatures, um, even just signature aggregation. You know, like there's a lot of things that can be built on top of this and improved on either through a BIP or a second layer or whatever. But we have to admit that at present day, there are, there are um, gaps and holes here. And it is also a reminder that we're early. We're seeing things and messing with things today that people in 20 years will have no, the average person will have no clue what we're talking about. I mean, a mm -hmm. lot of, I think this UTXO stuff will be completely automated for say my children, right? Um, or could be, I mean, you could, you can, I think you'll be able to do whatever you want, but there's going to be a lot of automation built into this in the future. And we're kind of, I mean, think well, you about even see how it now with, uh, with Sparrow, for example, when you're going to send a transaction, you can choose, do I want privacy as a priority or do I want efficiency right. as a priority? So, I yeah. mean, we're already seeing the beginnings think of about a lot how of this insanely, moving if you, toward if that you're, direction. You know, if you've made it 42 minutes into this episode or whatever, and you're freaked out, Think about how complex basic shit is that you use every day, right? If you really unpacked what happens, how the data packets are split, sent over SMTP and TCP when you send an email and reassembled halfway across the globe, it would blow your mind. But you're doing this with a touch of a button in an application today. So we're kind of seeing the back end of Bitcoin, which for someone that's not a coder or a computer engineer seems complex. Um... Dude, and you, in the future, you, I think it'll it'll feel less that way. You guys kind of straight agree? out of I agree, and that's straight out of like Antonopoulos's explanation of like when he first discovered the internet, 
in the late eighties when he was talking about sending his first emails where like he had to do some code work himself in order to actually get on the internet. And then putting an email together was such a difficult process. And now today his mom does it with, you know, an iPhone in like two seconds. And that's yeah. exactly what you're talking about here. Things just get simplified and, you know, easily, easily sorted out over time. Yeah, yeah. I agree too. That I uh, couldn't have said it better myself that like people forget the lightning network is like five years old or less. And uh, so, you know, there's, there's fair uh, criticisms in terms of, how it works currently with different privacy aspects and stuff. But uh, just think, you know, another five years from now, how different it will be and it will probably be even easier to use. So it's very exciting. Let's pivot um, to Unchained real quick with UTXOs. Because um, you do you do have a lot of people that have never cold stored before or aren't familiar with this that I'm sure are clients and have vaults. How does it work with you folks? Because it is... I think one step simplified, even from a typical coin join and say your own spiral wall. Walk us through how it works at, at Unchained. Yeah, so at Unchained, uh, one of my primarily, primary responsibilities is uh, reaching out to people that have accumulated a ton of UTXOs in their vault and just kind of trying to teach them uh, why making so many deposits frequently to their vault and just building up these UTXOs uh, could be something that they want to reconsider and, and want to deal with so that they uh, don't have super high fees in the future. And, and another thing that we didn't touch on yet is that if you have a lot of UTXOs and then you want to spend Bitcoin, um, your device might not be able to handle all of the data all at once. And that can uh, freak people out a little bit in terms of their device not being able to sign a transaction. Uh, really, the, the solution to that is just kind of breaking it up into multiple smaller transactions. But yeah, we we reach out to people um, who have a lot of UTXOs. Uh, we discuss consolidation and how it works. An Unchained Vault, pretty much every time you just do a withdrawal or a spend, it, in the background, it consolidates your UTXOs. Uh, that is something that um, there are some some privacy trade-offs to that, and we're going to be improving the optionality when it comes to how you want to move Bitcoin. Uh, but that's the way it works currently, and it's it's very simple to consolidate UTXOs on an Unchained Vault. I can't help myself here but plug the uh, cold card Mark IV because it's got, un as far as I understood, there is no limit to the amount of UTXOs you can send in one transaction. They've uh, increased the memory massively in that thing. So get yeah, yourself so a Mark IV if you got a shitload of UTXOs. Correct. Yeah, that's that's a problem that's going to become less and less of a problem over time as these devices improve, right? The, the cold card Mark III, uh, you get a little over 20 UTXOs and it might, might start to struggle. Mark IV, pretty much no limit that you would ever run into. Um, and so, yeah, actually, the Mark IV is, is pretty much the best device on the market that I know of for dealing with a lot of UTXOs. Tom, before we sign off, I want to go, I want to run through a list of things that maybe your recommendations or our recommendations for people that are still sort of beginners in the space. Number one, I want to talk real quick about where is your recommendation or what's your favorite place to buy Bitcoin? And then Dan and I will chime in on ours. Okay, well, I, I might be a little biased, but I love the idea no. of buying Bitcoin through Unchained Capital. That's uh, <laughs> we we have a a trade feature. Uh, depending on what state you're in, you can buy Bitcoin directly through Unchained Capital, and it actually goes straight into your self custody vault. So that's that's a unique feature where you don't actually have to transfer the Bitcoin manually from an exchange into cold storage. It it just goes straight there. Um, but also, uh, if you're not in a in a state that uh, that has that enabled yet, um, there are. I guess I'm partial as well to just companies that focus entirely on Bitcoin and not mm, other cryptocurrencies. So, uh, River Cash App stuff like that. Uh, and then, of course, if you're very concerned about privacy, there's ways to buy Bitcoin um, without KYC and stuff like peer to peer methods. Uh, so those are some of the different ways that I. Uh, recommend. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Strike myself, the lowest fees I'm aware of. And if you've got friends who are panic selling right now, try to get them to sell to you. And the uh, non-KYC Bitcoin right from your friends is a good way to go. 
I Dan? think with where to purchase, um, I have grown more keen on environments that foster a good educational nest for a newcomer. So Unchained, Swan, um, come to mind for me of places that are Bitcoin focused that aren't going to be distracting you with pop-ups of shiny shit coins. Like you, mm. you need to understand Bitcoin first. And I think not that we want to blind people from exploring because that's part of, you know, people's own journey is they have to reach these conclusions yeah. on their own. But these platforms like yours and others are very education forward, Bitcoin focused. And yeah. so you're not sending anyone an email telling them about Shiba Inu and about how exactly. it's going to the moon. Like that's it, that kind of stuff is so incredibly annoying to see. It's distracting logging it's into crazy. Coinbase and seeing the shit coin of the day going parabolic. It's like walking into a fucking casino and seeing someone win on the one arm bandit. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> it's like so yeah, that's why I'm I'm a fan of of those spots. Um, personally, because I think education is really the key right off the bat for folks. For sure. And handholding. I mean, that's the beauty of Unchained is that you've got people at your disposal that can walk you through this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any exchange that you'd feel comfortable leaving your money on, Tom? Any at all? None at all. No. If you uh, have a substantial amount of Bitcoin that you're trying to protect, don't keep it in someone else's custody. Keep it in your own custody. I like to think of Bitcoin as your insurance against uh, the current like traditional financial system. Mm -hmm. And you want that insurance to still be around if you need it. Uh, and if you hold it in, in a financial institution, uh, or, or rather they're holding it for you, then you don't know if your insurance will still be there at the time that you need it most. So. How yeah. about uh, software wallets? You, wallets or software wallets or hardware you don't recommend? Anything come to mind? Uh, yeah, I, I <laughs> hesitant to say it on throw them under forum. the bus. <laughs> throw them under the bus. You can pivot to what you do recommend if you really don't want to answer that. And we've kind I'd of probably some prefer of that. to take that approach. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> um, in terms of software wallets, that's kind of like hot wallets, right? You're using your keys. Um. That are, that are connected to the internet. Uh, so generally speaking, hot wallets aren't a great way to store a lot of Bitcoin either. Uh, you do want keys that are completely offline in cold storage using something like a cold card or other hardware device. Um, but there are some use cases for software wallets. For example, that can be your gateway into uh, trying a coin join. Uh, if you use Samurai Wallet uh, or Sparrow Wallet, they have that Whirlpool functionality, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and then also just holding a small amount of Bitcoin for like sending and receiving with your friends. There's mobile uh, mobile wallets like uh, Blue Wallet and Moon Wallet that have Lightning functionality. So both uh, standard on-chain transactions and Lightning. Um, that makes it very easy to just send and receive small amounts with other people. All right. How about best places to store your keys uh, on like metal or where's your favorite or best place that you're aware of that you'd recommend people keep those things? Especially you. Uh, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, okay. When you generate uh, a Bitcoin key properly, completely offline using a cold card or other hardware device, uh, that key exists in two places. When you when you set it up properly, you have uh, the key in the device and you have the key in the form of your seed phrase. So it's kind of in two places. Biggest thing is just make sure that you don't store that key uh, digitally on a computer that can connect to the internet or anything. You want to store it offline, but then also um, you want to make sure that that seed phrase is, is protected and not compromised. Your device probably has some sort of pin on it so that if someone finds your device, that's going to be hard for them to use it. Your seed phrase is not pin protected. Um, so you want to be really careful with the words. A big advantage is using multi-sig. So if you use multi-sig, uh, you can spread around your devices and your seed phrases and get rid of all single points of failure. If someone found one of your seed phrases, they can't actually get to your Bitcoin necessarily because they might need an additional key to actually move your Bitcoin. 
Um, so like with an unchained vault, you have four pieces, you have two devices plus two, two seed phrases. As long as you just spread those out geographically, um, then you're, you're extremely secure, even if someone finds like one of the pieces. All our stuff is at Jim's house. Yeah, For it's actually wondering. in Jim's rectum is where most of it is. <laughs> um, all right, here's a, here's another one. Uh, what is your favorite beefed up single sig setup? So things that come to mind for me are passphrase, seed XOR, uh, Shamir. What do you think about these setups for someone that's using them and you have a favorite? I'm just generally anti-single sig. I think that yeah. the majority of your security comes from multi-sig and removing all single points of failure. Uh, single sig is a, is a common way that people start and they learn about Bitcoin and keys and self-custody. Uh, but pretty much whenever you use single signature setups, you do have a single point of failure. Um, not a fan of passphrases for one. Uh, they're very easy to set and forget. And then uh, you might never be able to get back to your Bitcoin. A lot of nightmare stories with passphrases, for sure. Mm -hmm. No recovery exactly. possible, folks. You forget that password and you're done. Your Bitcoin is gone. Yep. Well, Tom, um, we enjoyed this, man. Um, you did a really good job of explaining to uh, dunces like ourselves what a UTXO is, uh, how it works, and the privacy concerns therein. We really appreciate it. Uh, you want to give us a handoff to yourself and uh, Unchained? Also give people a feel for uh, pricing of concierge and stuff, because for someone that's overwhelmed, Unchained is there to hold your hand through all of this. Dear boomers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can definitely, uh, get in contact with me by dealing with Unchained. You know, if you sign up for a concierge onboarding, uh, you might end up with me on the call with you, walking you through everything. Um, the pricing is like $250 for not only the onboarding call, but then like 90 days of additional, uh, calls if you need them just to cover everything and make sure that you're very comfortable and confident with holding your own keys and how to use multi-sig. Uh, and then also you, you can tack on um, buying a couple of devices through us if you don't have any yet. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a great way to, to, to meet with me and talk to me about Bitcoin. Um, I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at Tom underscore Hansik. Uh, and anything that I work on in the future, I'll be announcing there. Nice. Oh, quick story. I just thought of this right before we go. So Tom, we call Unchained. We get somebody in the US who speaks proper English and can walk us through everything perfectly, right? I called, so I was working, I'm working on something in QuickBooks right now. I had to call them, needed some help. Takes like 20 minutes to get someone on the phone. Someone clearly in India picks up. Nice guy, but I can hear chickens in the background. Like I hear roosters <laughs> crowing in the background, like so incessantly. I can't even understand this guy. Then he puts me on hold for like 25 minutes and hangs up. It was just, it's like you want to just, you can't, I just can't deal with like when you get someone outside of the US, they, do, they barely speak English. You can hear chickens in the background. We can guarantee when you call Unchained, you get someone without chickens in the background in the US that speaks mm -hmm. English. Yep. So that's our guarantee. Tom, last, last question here. What, what part of Bitcoin has you most excited right now? If you had to, you can be tech, non-tech, economic, whatever. What, what about this protocol has you fascinated and excited today or this week? Uh, pretty just general answer. Uh, the fact that people can actually start saving money now without it being debased is the most exciting part about Bitcoin to me. Um, making sure that this protocol uh, continues to, to grow and people start using it um, really just my biggest interest is trying to orange pill people uh, and then make them understand that, you know, you can't hold dollars. Otherwise, your purchasing power just continues to decline. Mm -hmm. Money outside the financial system. What a crazy thing this is, fellas. Tom, appreciate your time, brother. Well done today. Good topic, I think, for a lot of people that uh, may not be familiar. Take care. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, guys.
Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.